This is the Oanda Podcast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. Now, overnight, we saw that uh, rate rise from the Federal Reserve raising its benchmark policy rate by 75 basis points for the second month in a row. This was an expected hike, wasn't it? Some were suggesting that it could have gone as far as 1%, but it's what Jay Powell didn't say that really interested the markets, wasn't it? Yeah, for so long, the Fed has become increasingly hawkish uh, as inflationary pressures have got out of control, no doubt. I mean, it was only late last year that we were seeing that the Federal Reserve was still saying that inflation was transitory and that no action would be needed. And gradually that has evolved into more and more hawkish rhetoric and higher rate hikes, going from 25 basis points up to 50 basis points. Now we've had two consecutive 75 basis points. There was speculation that it could be even 100 basis points because we saw inflation hit 9.1% last month and we've also in the Bank of Canada take the leap into a 1% rate hike as well. So there was this suggestion that we could see the same from the Federal Reserve because the economy still remains relatively strong uh, and the labour market still remains extremely strong and extremely tight. The Fed opted not to take that leap into 100 basis points, and that's understandable. Uh, While the economy generally is strong, we could actually see it enter a technical recession today, which we'll touch on shortly, um, which would be quite interesting. It almost sounds very contradictory. But the the way the economy are performing and this big part of the economy, which is still performing very well, the, like say the labour market is a, is a key uh, reference to that. So the Fed is, up until this point has been hiking very aggressively because its main priority is getting inflation under control. It still believes it could achieve that soft landing that is now looking more and more uh, difficult to come by. But it still believes that it can be achieved. The key phrase, for I think, from the meeting was that he said, while another unusually large increase could be appropriate at our next meeting, that is a decision that will depend on the data. So this is now a shift that we've seen for many months from here's some very specific forward guidance about the fact that we're going to have to continue to raise interest rates very aggressively to let's see how the data performs. Gradually, we will see central banks become more data dependent. We're going to, I think we'll see it more from the Bank of Canada. We'll see it more from like the RBA. Uh, and maybe the RBNZ and others have been hiking rates very aggressively now for many, many months. Others may be a little bit behind, but will follow suit uh, maybe towards the back end of the year, looking here at the kind of ECB, maybe Bank of England even um, at that point as well. When they start to see inflationary pressures peak and we will see more data dependency start to, uh, to, to come from them. But it was this message that I think the markets really latched onto. Now, to be honest, I mean, you look at the reaction in the markets and as that rally more than 4%, it feels... A bit extreme, considering the Fed could still raise rates by 75 base points at the next meeting, considering the US could be in a technical recession, but also heading for a recession next year, as per the IMF forecasts earlier this week. And the fact that we are still seeing weaknesses appear in the labour market, but the Fed has to be very aggressive still in order to get inflation, which, like as I said, is at 9.1% under control. I think this is a bit of an overreaction to the upside, but sometimes relief does bring that. And it feels like a long time since we've seen a a real relief rally. We've seen bear market rallies in these markets, but I think this is the first time we've really seen any kind of relief rally um, in the markets. This idea that we are turning a corner to some extent. Um, So I think uh, I think that's why maybe why the the move we've seen in the equity markets is a bit exacerbated. But let's not be in any doubt if the data suggests that we need to see stronger rate hikes, then we will see them. And and I think the the Powell has 
allowed himself the room. Uh, he's kind of left the door open to all scenarios. He's left the door open to 25 base points at the next meeting, to 50, to 75, and to 100. Um, and I think that's very intentional. Forward guidance has now gone. Everything is now all about the data. And um, while he's downplayed this idea of a recession in the first half of the year, there's no doubt that there are pockets of the economy that are weakening. And we are seeing that reflected not just in, say, the housing data, which has been weakening for many months now, but we're also seeing it reflected in the earnings reports that we're getting because not only are we seeing slightly worse earnings reports, but also the language that we're hearing, especially from big tech, about hiring intentions uh, is shifting. It's almost like now many of these companies are preparing for challenging times ahead. And that's obviously going to then take its toll on the economy as well in the longer term. It would seem that markets, that reaction is sort of grasping at straws, really. And some might suggest they're slightly in denial. I mean, today we're going to see the latest GDP figures from the United States. And it's possible we could see the first technical recession. Yeah, exactly. And like I say, I think the reason why they're referring to it as technical recession is because there was a lot of factors that fed into uh, the first quarter number in particular, which was quite a steep uh, a steep decline in GDP. And I think things like inventory and trade were a big factor in that. And these were kind of the kind of trends that are not really reflective of the strength of the economy in the first quarter, but more things that can change from quarter to quarter. Um, and and obviously, we've seen a lot of volatile data over the course of the last uh, couple of years. So you look at the GDP data last year, and it, there's nothing normal about it. So from quarter to quarter, you kind of see these... M- exacerbated moves compared to what you would see normally and when that first quarter GDP came out the actual view was you know what this is a te- this is kind of a technical decline in GDP there's not this isn't a reflection of the economy and you know what we're going to grow in the second quarter anyway so it doesn't really matter and actually the second quarter has been a little bit weaker uh, in, ter- in a few different areas which is why we could actually see a slight decline in GDP today even if the forecasts are for a slight increase in GDP. Now, it's not often that you kind of look around the data forecasts and say that actually maybe the forecasts are wrong, but we've just seen so many murmurings this week uh, from different officials that seem to be laying the groundwork for uh, setting the narrative on this recession. The White House earlier this week saying, well, I mean, technically it's a recession, but by this other definition, it's not a rec- it wouldn't be a recession, so let's not get carried away. Yes, apparently they don't use the same description as we have here in the UK. A technical recession, uh, of course, defined as two consecutive quarters of contraction, but the US doesn't use this definition and apparently relies on a determination by a group of researchers at the National Bureau of Economic Research based on a broader range of factors, which is, I didn't realise that. I think that's interesting. Well, I guess it depends who you talk to. I think most people generally accept around the world that two, two quarters of negative growth is a, is, is a recession. Um, but it, it, I guess it, it kind of suits your needs. And when you when that suits you, then that's fine. When it doesn't suit you, it's um, then 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 you use alternative measures. The measure that you're talking about effectively includes the under the the labour market and the strength of the labour market and the unemployment rate, etc. And what they're effectively saying is. The labour market, there is absolutely no signs of recession. Uh, And therefore, while you do see a technical recession here, it's not a real recession in the way that people would normally think of a recession. And I do understand that argument in that while they are obviously trying to set the narrative, they do have midterms in a few months' time and they don't want to go into the midterms in a recession because they'll, uh, they won't perform very well and they've only got slight majorities in the House and the Senate and they are probably going to lose both of those. 
but they are trying their best to set the narrative going into the next few months that this is not a real recession. This is a, t a recession technically uh, based on certain factors, but not uh, based on the actual strength of the fundamental economy. And that's what that's effectively what they're um, trying to say here. And it's this setting of the narrative which makes you think that they've they they know what's coming, and therefore I think people are preparing today for a negative for a negative GDP figure from the US, and therefore a technical uh, recession. Um, but again, it, as, 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 as I've alluded to, it doesn't really reflect the strength of the economy currently. The economy actually is far more resilient, but there are pockets of weakness, like the housing market. The more concerning thing is what companies are saying, which is with regards to things like hiring intentions, with, with regards to their outlooks. Um, and, and I think that is probably the more concerning thing that makes me think they'll fall into an actual recession next year. And this is not good news for President Biden with the midterms looming ever closer, is it? I mean, is there anything that uh, his team can do about it? No, uh, I think it's, a, it's an unfortunate um, circumstance. Not entirely too dissimilar, I guess, to what President Trump had uh, a couple of years ago, uh, 12 months before the election campaign. Uh, it, it seemed that it was a no-brainer that President Trump was going to get his second term that the economy was roaring, that unemployment was extremely low, and that is an extremely difficult backdrop to lose an election against. So it seemed inevitable that he was actually going to win that election, and then COVID hit, and that changed everything. And when you're looking into the midterms, obviously midterms is different than the actual election, and it was always going to be difficult for the Democrats to hold on to the House and the Senate, given such slim majorities, particularly in the Senate, with Vice President Kamala Harris actually holding the deciding vote because it split 50-50. So it's always going to be extremely difficult to hold either of them, let alone both of them. But then we have the after effects of the pandemic and the war in Ukraine and the impact that that's having on the cost of living. Again, it's an unfortunate second set of circumstances in many ways that means that they are likely to lose the majorities in the House and the Senate. There's not much they can really do about that, unfortunately, especially this late in the day. I think it's just it feels like it's an inevitability. Um, which means the second half, we are going to the second half of his term, it, we're probably going to see a lame duck president that's not going to be able to get anything ambitious through uh, through Congress, unfortunately. Okay, let's move on to the latest uh, earnings figures, which also make interesting uh, reading considering the conversation we've just had. Let's start with Meta, and they've got a bit of a bleak outlook, haven't they? They missed on the top line. Uh, they missed on the bottom line. And their forecast, their outlook was uh, weaker than the markets were expecting. They disappointed across the board. They do have a very challenging environment, and this is what I was alluding to earlier. Not only do they have the iOS problems, which is uh, with regards to tracking on the on, on Apple products, but also they have a massive issue with regards to the fact that their business is so advertising heavy. They're not an extremely diversified business. So in an environment where the economy is slowing and businesses are being a little bit more savvy with how they spend their money, then that's going to have an impact on advertising revenue um, and that's going to massively hit a company like uh, Facebook at this point in time where, where, where it's such a huge component of their of their income stream uh, and therefore it's going to affect not just their current business uh, but also their outlook as well. Um, and this is what I was talk, talking about earlier. In, in reflection on this, while they have been hiring strongly over the course of the last 12 months, they did they did mention in their actual... Um, in the, in the, call afterwards that their intention is to now slow hiring uh, because um, in the words of Mark Zuckerberg this is a period that demands more intensity and I expect us to get more done with fewer resources so it's quite clear that al alongside many other companies that have said this in their earnings calls um, that their intention now is to slow or pause hiring 
while the economy goes through these difficulties and um, and, and then see where they stand in a year or two's time. The problem is that's just obviously going to compound the problem, right? I mean, if you're not hiring and you are uh, and you're, you're you're preparing for a recession, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Not quite as poor figures from Alphabet and Microsoft. Their revenue numbers weren't so bad. Well, they missed on the top and bottom line as well, actually. So they missed on revenue, they missed on earnings. Um, very unusual for, for these companies. But they did miss on both. But their outlooks weren't as bad. And the, the reason why their outlooks weren't as bad is because they have a much larger business. Uh, they have a much more diversified business. And I think that's what the, the markets really latched onto. Their stock price performed very well yesterday because their outlook was uh, came as a relief that it wasn't as bad as, as it could have been, despite the fact that their earnings and revenue figures were poor. Markets are willing to forgive that. And the reason why they're willing to forgive that is because their share prices are falling so much this year and because we've been in such a negative doom loop in the markets that their share prices have effectively adjusted to reflect uh, a weaker performance. But the fact that their forecasts were not as bad um, is, is what generated that kind of relief rally, which was obviously then aided in the broader tech space by the Fed becoming more data dependent. And we, we've seen for many months now that the more aggressive the Fed has been, the worse the Nasdaq has performed. So we've seen a relief rally both in terms of the outlook, but also in terms of the uh, broader tech space because of what the Fed was saying in both Alphabet and Microsoft. So that's Meta, Alphabet, Microsoft. But later on, we've got the latest numbers from Amazon and uh, Apple. What are markets expecting? So it's going to be an interesting one again. Again, I think I think hiring tensions is going to be something that people will be paying very close attention to. Um, obviously, we've got uh, Amazon, where we've got uh, again, it's still a very diversified business. It's going to be a big focus as always on the kind of on the cloud services because it's such a massive growth business for the company, and also on the sales figures, etc. But I think the the important thing uh, is going to be that outlook again. So as we've seen this week. There's going to be a certain amount of forgiveness if we do see a miss on the bottom bottom lines, but it's a case of how well the business is expected to form going forward, and uh, whether the whether we can continue to see decent levels of growth that would justify the, the share price at the current levels. Um, the, it's going to be interesting to see if we see the same level of forgiveness. Uh, and obviously, we know that Amazon have had to increase their Prime uh, subscription cost here in the UK. Uh, in order to to account for some of those uh, higher costs, and again, that's going to be a key focus as well, because many of these companies are are experiencing uh, much higher costs, and therefore it's about how they how they manage to pass that on to the consumer, especially in an environment which is very different now from uh, twelve months ago. Okay, Craig, thanks very much for joining us uh, this morning. We'll speak to you again soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.